Hey, what's going on? This is the Educated Guest Podcast. I'm Justin. I'm your host. If this is your first time joining, I just want to say thank you. You know, first and foremost, for spending time, for choosing to click, for choosing to spend 15, 20 minutes listening to somebody that you have no idea about and becoming a part of an ecosystem that just felt maybe right to you for whatever reason. And we just want to say thank you for that. Also, for the people who are returning for maybe the 100th time, maybe the 10th time, maybe the 170th time, um, welcome back. Um, We really, really, really appreciate your consistent admiration, consistent consumption of the information that we put out there. And we find that a lot of the feedback we get and we've gotten over the past two and a half to three years has been positive, not necessarily for the uniqueness of the message or maybe telling people something they haven't heard before, but perhaps the way that it's packaged, the way that it's relatable, the way that we're trying to speak the language of two different parties that otherwise would not meet. And those two different parties are quite distinct. I mean, one represents sort of the institution and the other represents the public. You know, Virgil often talks about sort of this dialectic of the the tourist and the purist. And what we hope to do is to operate in the middle ground between the two. So all that said, I really, really hope that you enjoy over the next month, two months, year, two years. We really think there's enough content already here to to sustain you for quite a bit of time and perhaps speak to the person who's maybe trying to start a studio or maybe trying to get that dream job or maybe trying to build their own brand. But they're not really sure about the tools, the tactics, the mindset or even the inspiration they need to get their thing off the ground. So what we talk about are sort of three compartmentalized sections of information, one that addresses the mind, the tactics, and also the inspiration needed to get to where you want to go. All with regard to art, design, and overall life. So with that said, if any of this sounds cool to you, uh, then you would probably really like going to our email newsletter and subscribing, educated-guest.com. That's educated dash dash guest.com subscribe to our email email newsletter it's not a whole bunch of stuff flying at you and cloud in your inbox all the time we don't like that you don't like that so we don't do that um we give information to you when it's relevant and we don't when we when it's not anywho today we're talking about worthwhile questions and this is another segment of our incomplete thoughts series which happens to do with the development of sound mind, the development of sound routine practice, and overall um, personal development that will bleed into the way that you um, pursue your craft and sort of carry out your craft. Um, In particular, we thought it would be interesting to address this topic of practice. I mean, practice in an office and a firm, they all have different connotations and they all have different desires and they all have different aspirations. Some might say that they are, the difference of those terms has to do with the idea of scale. Others might say that the difference in those terms has to do with the idea of expertise. And others might say that neither one, the nuance of all three is really irrelevant because the entire profession is irrelevant. Now, regardless of where you sit on that spectrum or any any of those categories, The idea is very clear that people want to know what you need to know in order to start, run, and sustain a practice. So whether we're concerning ourselves with 
running a 200 to 300 person firm, running a you know company, let's just say company as a um, sort of level playing field term, people, if you're wanting to know how to run a 200, 300 person or 300 employee company, that's one thing. You might be wanting to know how to run a, just hire the, your first employee and be able to pay them a salary and maybe some benefits. Or maybe you're looking to break into one of these companies and just work your way up. Um, a lot of these things um, work your way up to making partner and getting some equity stake in the deals that are, you know, sort of made out there. So been doing a lot of talking, having a lot of conversations with friends, colleagues. I don't really like the term colleague. I think it's dated and compartmentalized, but I think it's probably relevant for such a professional conversation, I guess, maybe, who knows. Um, either way, what we're talking about is what what separates sort of the young designer, the young artist, the aspirational design leader, the you know, lifetime achievement award in waiting 30 years down the road type of designer from the person who's currently lecturing around the world and maybe running a design practice all across the world and um, two or three different offices in all of the major cities on particular continent inside of the side of the world. What separates? What's the difference? And, you know, obviously age is a common Difference. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, repertoire of skill set, particularly with re- with regard to navigating the politics of how things get built. Um, repertoire of uh, a Rolodex of, of built up over 30, 40 years of partnerships, collaborations, commissions. But one thing that we really narrowed it down to that is quite because all of those things seem to be, you know, rather deflating for somebody who's not there. You know, of course, if you're 65 years old and you've been running a design practice, running an art practice, whether from the pentagrams to the OMAs to um, you name it, you know, when you start going to the Ogilvy's, if you're not inside of the beast, if you're not inside and sort of on the other side of that, then you're looking for something to keep you going and to keep you humble and hungry. And talking about the gap is not as motivational as talking about what it takes to close the gap. So in this conversations with a friend of mine who has been running a successful practice for a number of years, teaches at a number of different institutions and has taught a number of different, different institutions at varying scales and varying um, pedagogical approaches, what we settled on was that Perhaps the difference between these two, these two sort of polemic type of people is the quality of your questions about the world. And in continuing that conversation, we started seeing that many people organize their companies based on category, industry, service line. I mean, I've been part of these, I've been part of these companies held really relatively important positions um, in these companies. I've done enough work to know the work that it gets done. And I haven't done enough work to, to, to know how to change how the work gets done. Um, 
So I think it's a worthwhile conversation to continue to have. But what I'm trying to do today is to offer a status report, perhaps a brief, perhaps a memorandum about um, what what I think the lay of the land is right now. You know, for those who listen and maybe they're fresh out of college, maybe you haven't worked a full time job before, or maybe you're in an internship and you're, you know, excited and you're ready to go and you you think everybody is the hero and maybe you're been been at it for 40 years and you know better. So you don't even know why to get up in the morning. And everybody in between um, is perhaps looking for an answer about this idea of practice, professional practice, and what it means and how to sort of navigate the the murky waters of creative professional practice. And this would this is applicable for interior designers, architects, industrial designers, graphic designers, you name it. Anyone who offers a service that has to do with Clients asking questions about creativity and representation and visualization of ideas, clarity on how, how ideas can come to life. This is, this is incredibly important for all of us, these sorts of questions, to start rethinking the org chart, rethinking the value chain, rethinking the value prop and the positioning of your practice. You know, what I've realized is that perhaps if you're running a small practice, it might make the most sense to organize the experimental side of your house based on questions about maybe like the urban condition or questions about um, the graphical tradition or the questions about a broader set of things as opposed to categorical truths of, you know, you need graphic design. Well, you need animators, you need, and when you start thinking about how to build an agency, think about just a standard marketing agency. Typically, you have account planners, you have strategic planning, strategic marketers, you have copywriters, you'll have um, graphic designers. These days you'll have animators, maybe there's a separate group, you'll have devs, you'll have product managers. If you're building out assets, you'll have all these different things. And really, it's not too different in an architecture firm either. You have these siloed groups of people that are specialists inside a behemoth of what you would hope to be is like someone exchanging time for money. So when you start to unravel and un- peel back the onion of the business model of design, you start to realize quickly that there, the real the wheel really isn't ha- the wheel hasn't been reinvented for quite a while. Why? Because clients understand something that architects and designers and industrial designers really do understand, but we don't want to reckon with, we don't want to reason with because of the same dialectic I talked about at the beginning, the, the idea of the tourist versus the purist. And that's why, in my opinion, why Virgil has been so incredibly, I mean, for a number of reasons, I mean, there's economic factors, there's um, media factors, there's techno- technological factors that, you know, have to do. And there's just, pure hard work over a number of decades that has resulted in his ascension into the, the spotlight of uh, professional design uh, with a capital D, if you will. But one thing that's incredibly important about that dialectic of the tourists and the purists is that clients often operate on the side of the tourists where they view your practice, they view your value as in the same way as someone going through TJ Maxx and evaluating 
in evaluating which nightstand to get based on price relative, you know, damages that maybe you can get some, you know, get some uh, discount on because it's shipped a little bit or maybe, you know, people are shopping in TJ Maxx. So one th- one lesson I learned quite a while ago from Jeff Staple is that you need to decide early who you want to hang with. And he's in fashion primarily. I don't want to relegate him to just one industry. But working in the fashion industry, you have to think about, you know, which which group of clothing do you want to hang with? And I find that imp- incredibly important when we start thinking about building a studio, building a practice, building a way of working, building a way of thinking and starting to think about the types of conversations that you want to be having around your studio for you know, in, in perpetuity. Um, obviously you have, you know, you think about the BCG four quadrant matrix where you have cash cows, you have these outliers. I mean, if you go just research BCG four quadrant matrix, you'll see what I'm talking about. And essentially every business needs a cash cow. So you have these things that sustain you and pay the bills. I mean, David Chipperfield talks about paying the bills of you know, competitions in his early days of his practice by competing in these competitions. I mean, the comp, I mean, excuse me, competing in the competitions was, you know, allowable. And he was able to do that by completing these commissions of interiors, places like Isimiyaki or um, other places, um, ironically, outside of the UK. So you start to see that there's a general sense of business and a general sense of understanding of how business works that is applicable across consultancies and across um, agencies and firms and studios. And um, I mean, the model hasn't changed for a number of years. Uh, the difference, I would argue, between practice to practice, from one practice to the next practice to the next practice is perhaps the quality of the question, the quality of your positioning, the quality of what you're interested in and what you're interested in. I mean, it's sort of this dance that I've read about and I've experienced firsthand and doing my own client work individually, doing partner work, um, working inside of a big firm, like all of these things have come to bear in just my, you know, in contextually short period of time in the working world. Um, considering the long tail of the 50, 60 something odd years that God willing, I'm able to continue working. Um, when you consider these many factors, you're forced to consider the importance of um, what you're interested in and asking quality questions and perhaps organizing your studio around those sorts of questions. Um, I can't help but think about studio gang and Jenny gang and, the way that she talks about the organizational chart of her studio. And I believe she brought in Booz Allen, um, probably not Booz Allen because they have since merged, but a big consultancy um, in the realm of McKinsey, Bain, BCG, Deloitte, that sort of thing. Um, When you start thinking about this, essentially she talks about it as flipping the org chart upside down. And instead of viewing the org chart as some of this top down, ontological sort of kingdom phylum um, view of the company. Instead, she viewed it as a tree that can sprout more branches. 
And it was the most incredible way I've ever heard someone talk about the development of a design practice, the development of a creative practice in which you could have the freedom to not necessarily, you know, be afraid of new roots growing, new new trees, new new branches growing from you as a, essentially the fertilizer of the soil. Like the purpose is not to manifest your ideas as this sort of top-down, you know, arbiter of truth. Instead, it's to manifest the ideas of all those around you. You know, OMA has an interesting position, which I'm not sure of their organizational structure. I don't want to comment on that, but I just pulled an interesting positioning statement from their website is that OMA is an international practice operating within the traditional boundaries of architecture and urbanism. AMO, a research and design studio, applies architectural thinking to domains beyond. So there's sort of these interesting nuances in how studios are organized and how practices are organized and how firms are organized depending on size, depending on interest, that you could maybe attribute to the way that you practice. And the whole point of this particular lecture is to get you thinking about asking better questions, noting the questions that are worthwhile. Instead of th maybe thinking about which client could you go get or thinking about who can give you money tomorrow, which is a worthwhile question. Now, there are deeper questions that are perhaps you know relevant to sort of that Hegelian effect of the disappearance of art or the end of art in which art sort of manifests itself as not as a painting, not as a sculpture, not as a building, but perhaps as a mode of thinking. So I would argue that the most impactful practices of the future, most impactful studios of the future are going to be arbiters of quality thought quality questioning, quality work, and ultimately quality impact in a broader sense than typically just a building alone or simply an interior or simply an exhibition. Those sorts of things are transactional as they are listed almost as like a uh, in a proposal. You're thinking about those things as, hey, did we get the building? Did we get the interiors? Did we get five renders? Did we get, you know, these the value of your practice is not relegated to the number of deliverables you're able to offer. Instead, it's relegated to the types of conversation you can sort of stimulate, the types of impact you can stimulate, the types of questions you can stimulate with clientele, and ultimately the types of projects you are interested in self-initiating, not necessarily waiting on someone else to tell you to do. So anyway, in summary, most impactful lesson I've learned over the past five to seven years is that the best in the business don't wake up every day and you know, find new games to play that simply exploit the strengths they already have. Instead, they wake up and ask what is required and what strengths are needed to get that job done. So if any of this sounds like something maybe that could be stimulating a fire within you or, you know, sort of kindling something inside give us a shout and there's two ways you can do that the good news is that we have an email newsletter if you're into that sort of thing you can go to educated-guest.com subscribe there and one more thing we're also on on instagram um, a lot of our conversations a lot of our community building happen via dm there so if you're interested you can go to at educated underscore underscore guests and talk with us more there so again thank you for your time Appreciate you. Till next time. Peace.